and Tuesdays right around 10 o'clock, uh, we always check in with Al Bat and uh, kind of see what's uh, see what's happening in Al's world here. So good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, Dwayne. You know, I enjoy a drum roll as much as the next guy. Like when you leave the house in the morning, it, it's nice just to have a drum roll. Why not? Sure. And a woodpecker was happy to provide one by drumming on a resonant limb like John Bonham on the day he graduated from the School of Hard Knocks this morning. So <laughs> it, was a, it was a wonderful uh, way to start the day. Uh, the woodpeckers generally drum... You know, heaviest in uh, probably the spring, but they they drum all year long, so it was really nice. And I listened to an eastern wood peewee, and he does this slurred whistle, a plaintive P-O-E, or peewee, and it falls in pitch at the end, and I've named him Herman. So he's a Pee-wee Herman, so I'm sorry about that, but it's just what comes to mind. I watched turkey vultures soar with limited flapping, and in uh, a friend of mine has uh, been to Tibet some, and he said there vultures are considered angels who bring souls to heaven where they can be reincarnated. Uh, driving around, what am I seeing? I'm seeing crowned vetch. It's a legume that's native to Europe and Asia, and it was introduced to the U.S. in the mid-1800s. And by the 1950s, it's become it became widely planted. And here in Minnesota, it's been planted as a cover crop, but it's also, where we see it, it's used for soil stabilization on ditch banks. And crown vetch flowers vary from white to pink to lavender, and they bloom from May through August, so we have a long time to look at them. Uh, similar plants show violet blue flowers, that's called on cow vetch, or some people call it bird vetch. And then there's blue and white on hairy vetch. But the flowers of cow vetch and hairy vetch are arranged in a line along the stalk, unlike the clustered arrangement at the top that crown vetch has. And crown vetch has a little leaflet at the tip of its leaves and doesn't have tendrils at the tips as cow and hairy vetch do. Uh, look for purple coneflower, black-eyed Susan, the, oh, the vibrant orange butterfly weed, and vervain is blooming. Uh, there's hoary vervain, H-O-A-R-Y, and it grows on stalkless leaves in clumps in dry habitats. And it's easily confused with blue vervain, which has smaller flowers. It has uh, Its leaves have stalks, and it prefer, prefers uh, oh, moist habitats. I, you know, moist, somebody told me that's their least favorite word in the whole wide world is moist. And it makes her just kind of um, shudder when she hears the word moist, but uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, both these verveins bloom June to September. And so it's a, it's a beautiful plant, I think. I enjoy seeing them. Uh, mica said, uh, Japanese beetles are back. He said, last year I was up at sunrise to sunset gathering those pests. My goal was to catch all of them before they laid their eggs. Well, knock on wood, so far the results appear to be amazing. It's still early, however. Last year, this time, I'd say I had at least 2,000. This year, about 100. Been weighing them this year, figuring a more accurate count, and I'm at 1.1 ounce. Yeah, the populations in the state and on mica, I'm going to 
swing and a miss where I read this, but they said the population in the state for Japanese beetles are largest in four places. The Twin Cities, Rochester, Albert Lee, and Mankato. So, boy, we all made it into that top four. I think we could be pretty proud of that. The grub damage that shows up from Japanese beetle grubs, it's usually late July to the end of September when we see those. And if you uh, have the company of raccoons and skunks, they will come in and dig up your yard looking for those delicious white grubs. Uh, Jack May sent me a photo of a lovely monarch butterfly on blooming milkweed. Dale Waltz of Rochester spotted a bull snake. Uh, when I was a kid, we called them gopher snakes. They're found in the southern half of the state, especially in the counties bordering the Mississippi, the Minnesota, and St. Croix rivers. Uh, bull snakes, I believe, are the largest in Minnesota. Uh, when I was a kid, they said, well, they, when you reached about five foot tall, they say, well, you're about as tall as the average bull snake. The largest on record measures over eight feet long, I believe. They're non-venomous. They're constrictors. They mainly eat rodents, but will eat birds, bird eggs, lizards, uh, smaller snakes, insects, bats, frogs. But the, I think the majority of their diet is probably pocket gophers, rats, mice, young rabbits, and ground squirrels. Uh, Steve Zenk of Albert Lee said, We have red-headed woodpecker nesting on our property. The eggs have hatched. I have not seen the babies, but the parents are bringing bugs to the nest frequently. I hope to see them later in the week peeking their heads out. Also saw a red-eyed vireo. Uh, Neil Bat of Heartland. Uh, Neil builds uh, houses and sheds and that sort of thing. So he has a commercial trailer. He has a turkey tom fighting with a chrome on his commercial trailer. Not while he's driving down the road, but when he's parked. That'd be really cool if he was doing it while he's driving down the road, but well, maybe not cool if you're driving. Andrew Nyhus was in Freeborn County. He saw a red-shouldered hawk, which would be rare here. Uh, Bell's Vireo, which would be rare but regular, if that makes any sense. A lark sparrow would be rare, and a henslow sparrow, rare but regular. And I, I heard a henslow sparrow in the county earlier this year. Uh, Doug Keezer. Uh, saw a common gallinule at High Island Lake in Sibley County. Brian Smith had a blue grosbeak in Brown County. And Howard Towell had a yellow-breasted chat in Blue Earth County. It's, um, it's the yellow-breasted chat. I've seen them in a few counties and things down in Iowa a lot, but I, I have not seen one in my home county. And I, I try every year, and I just, it's kind of a, they, birders talk about a nemesis bird, one they just cannot find, and I guess mine is a yellow-breasted chat. Uh, Mark Salk of Truman said, Al, I have a question for you. Do vultures and birds of prey need grit to digest their food like seed-eating birds do? And he also sent along a dad joke of the day, so uh, be ready to groan because that's what dad... I tell a story a lot. I was... Uh, 
I was sequestered in a hospital uh, some years ago for uh, a bit of time, and the guy who cleaned my room came in and told me a dad joke. I don't know that we called them dad jokes then, but they were like the worst jokes on earth, folks. It just, oh my gosh, but you had to groan, but then inside you were laughing, and he just made my day with that dad joke of the day. Uh, Mark's dad joke of the day is my dog accidentally ate scrabble tiles. I took him to the vet. No word yet. Thank you, Mark. I am laughing on the inside. As far as your question as do vultures and birds of prey need grit to digest their food, I have watched kestrels apparently eating pebbles. And I talked to a falconer. Oh, gosh, it, within the last year, anyway. And we were talking about grit. And he said one component to a properly functioning gastrointestinal system of, of hawks or falcons is something called wrangle. And he spells wrangle, R-A-N-G-L-E, no W on it. And wrangle refers to those stones used to a... Uh, to, to en- enhance, I guess, the action of feeding, uh, it, it'd be grit to us. They call it wrangle. Falconers have different words for just about everything. And birds in the wild have been observed purposely picking up and eating stones to wrangle themselves, like these kestrels I watched. And frequently, food that these birds would be eating in the wild would have bits of grit, sand, or rocks sticking to them. But when they have the falconers, and when they're feeding their falcons, they get richer meats such as pigeons or ducks, and they have a high fat content. And this can, well, basically gum up the inside of the bird's crop and gizzard. So wrangle gets worked around by the bird, and then it gets cast back up with the excess fat and indigestion indigestible gumming that coats them. And many hawks have no need for wrangles as they eat much casting material which has the same effect. And the fur, feathers, and bones that they gobble up are often picked around by falcons. So falcons don't have the exact same diet. They don't eat that fur, feathers, and bones. And because falcons tend not to ingest materials that would scrub them clean from their innards, they're usually more in need of wrangling. Uh, Birds usually are started on three to four of these wrangle stones. He showed me some of these. They're smooth. They're from the size of a BB to the size of a pea, and then they get larger ones as they, they grow older. And they're smooth. No jagged edges that could cause problems in the crop. And stones are tucked into tidbits of meat and then fed to the bird, just as we try to sneak that pill into our dog's food, and he chews and swallows and then spits the pill out. A study of, as far as vultures go, Mark, though, a, a study of the pellets produced by 176 vultures, and they went through the pellets, 176 vultures, they found rocks or grit in eight of them. So they were probably accidentally eaten with other things because vultures love to get out and eat garbage. They eat pumpkins. They eat all kinds of things other than just roadkill. So they pick up those kind of things. So it doesn't seem like they uh, need it so much. Uh, 
I watched a vulture last year, and he coughing up a pellet. And it was like it got stuck in there, so he his reaches his foot up in there and kind of yanks it out. So it took a long time to get it out, but it made for a pretty interesting viewing. And, of course, I didn't have a camera because you never have cameras when something really neat like that happens. Uh, a listener says, uh, you were talking about athletic teams nicknamed for birds. Why aren't most athletic why aren't more athletic teams nicknamed the Robins? Yeah, because we have Robins. They're everywhere. I don't know why there aren't more. There should be more. There is the Atlantic, Atlantic Collegiate Baseball League, I believe was the name of it. It still is the name of it. But they once had a team called the Peekskill Robins. And they're no longer a member. I don't think it was because they were named the Robins. Maybe they just changed their name or something. In uh, Major League Baseball, there were the Brooklyn Robins. They were around from 1914 through 1931. And they were in the National League. And they were the Brooklyn Dodgers at one time. Then they changed their name to the Brooklyn Robins. And then in 1932, they said, we're going to become the Brooklyn Dodgers again. And, of course, they're now the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, Some football clubs in England carry the name Robins, albeit a different Robin than the American Robin. And the same could be said for a couple of Australian rules football clubs. They're the Robins, but it's a different Robin. Here in uh, Minnesota, I think the Robinsdale Cooper High School Robins sounds like the perfect name. Uh, They're called the Hawks now. And I know there's a Robins, Iowa, and I want to say it's by Cedar Rapids. I might be wrong on that, but they they don't have a high school. Otherwise, boy, the Robins, Robins would be a keeper. Although a friend would call them the Robins, orange-bellied worm pullers, and so that wouldn't be maybe quite as good a name. Uh, were there chimneys? The same uh, listener said, "Were there chimney swifts before there were chimneys?" Yeah, you'd think it's pretty hard to be a chimney swift without a chimney, but before European settlement brought chimneys to North America, chimney swifts nest in caves, cliff faces, and hollow trees, and they are among the most aerial of birds. They fly constantly unless roosting or nesting. They bathe in flight. They'll glide down to the water, and they smack the surface with their bodies, and then they shake the water from their plumage as they fly away. And when they rest, they don't perch like most birds, little birds that we see on twigs and things. These guys cling to the walls of chimneys and other vertical surfaces. Unmated swifts continue roosting together in the summer, sometimes in large groups. But the species, they do not nest colonially. So if you have a chimney with a breeding pair nesting in that chimney, That will be the only breeding pair in that chimney, regardless of the size of the chimney. I read something one day that there is a huge chimney out west somewhere that has up to something like 16,000 and thereabouts uh, swifts in there at one time roosting. What animals eat mulberries? 
Okay, man, let's go. Uh, Robins, Cardinals, Catbirds, Crows, Blue Jays, Baltimore Orioles, uh, Foxes, Raccoons, Chipmunks, Skunks, Possums, Squirrels, Wild Turkeys, Catbirds, I think I mentioned Catbirds, Brown Thrashers, Eastern Bluebirds, Great Crested Flycatchers. Uh, on occasion, we get Northern Mockingbirds around here, not too often, but we get them. Uh, Rose-breasted grosbeaks, cedar waxwings, indigo buntings, tufted titmice, scarlet tanagers, northern flickers, and, and me. I eat them too. So uh, a lot of a lot of animals love mulberries, and I enjoy them. I think they're very good, and uh, I, I love them. Uh, somebody said uh, sent me they had a, a bad experience with poison ivy. And they said that I didn't recognize it as poison ivy. It was doing something in the ditch, clearing, um, how, cutting grass or chopping weeds or something. I didn't recognize it. Why wouldn't you recognize poison ivy? Well, poison ivy wears disguises. Sometimes it looks like a thick vine winding around a tree and climbing high into the air. Sometimes it looks like a bush or a shrub. Other times it carpets the ground like like a ground cover. And we hear it's leaves of three, let it be. Uh, no, they're actually leaflets. And those leaflets can be smooth or toothed on their edges. And they can turn red, yellow, or orange in the fall. And it's white berries provide food for birds. Are we all allergic to the oil within the plant? From what I've heard and read from uh, various uh, clinics and hospitals and things, about 85% of people are allergic. Because you always, I'm sure there's a video out there of some guy picking them up and saying, you know, I just, it's mind over matter or something that doesn't bother me. But, you know, I wouldn't press my luck with it. I think you're just asking for trouble. But uh, about 85% of people are allergic. My mother would get it. Uh, back in the day, road ditches used to be burned to keep. Uh, vegetation down going into winter and so the snow wouldn't stick on the road and and to keep uh, weeds and things from spreading so for various reasons they were burned. My mother could uh, have a rash because of the smoke when poison ivy burned. It Poison ivy has a hairy vine. There's a, I could say leaves a three let it be but there's also hairy rope don't be a dope and sometimes I hear it as raggy rope don't be a dope uh, hairy vine no friend of mine uh, one two three don't touch me berries white run in fright leaves of three let it be leaves of five let it thrive and why do we say that well poison ivy leaflets are normally in groups of three while those of the virginia creeper which is a very common vine around here they are in groups of five so leaves of three let it be leaves of five let it thrive uh, it's amazing how many birds and animals and things can eat those berries and apparently suffer no no after effects from doing that uh, driving home the other night late, I saw eye shine. It was just one of those nights where everything was out walking around. And eye shine, uh, it's a 
it's, it's the eyes of a animal that when our lights of a car hit them, and they shine, and that it enhances animals' visual sensitivity in low-light conditions. I had that great horned owl fly up from the road in front of my car, and its eyes just glowed yellow. And there's an overlap of colors, but raccoons, coyotes, deer, and cattle have yellow eye shine. Uh, dogs' eyes are yellow, green, or blue. Uh, boys, the schnauzers or something are supposed to have the most incredible blue. Cats are usually green, but they can be orange, yellow, or red. Horses are green to yellow to blue. Uh, rabbits, possum, and foxes are generally red. Uh, deer, coyotes, and walleye will also flash white. And I know I said earlier that coyotes and deer have yellow, but they also have white. But walleyes, walleyes have white eyes. And even the wolf spider has stars in its eyes, so it's pretty cool seeing those little spiders with those. I'm watching something. I'm not watching it while I'm talking to you, Dwayne, but there's a thing, uh, Cornell Lab of Ornithology, they have all these cams. And one is a Panama fruit feeder cam. And it uh, is a might expect from being a fruit feeder, they're free, feeding fruit. And you know, I, I've been glancing on and off and on this morning. So far, I have seen zero birds. I saw one human and a lot of insects, but not one bird. But I'm going to hang in there because, boy, I bet there's some beautiful birds. Beautiful birds here. I mowed the lawn in the company of dive-bombing barn swallows that <laughs> swooped along with me, and they called clicket click it repeatedly as if reminding me to fasten my seatbelt on my push lawnmower. The swallows an insectivore with flies, grasshoppers, crickets, dragonflies, beetles, moths, and other flying insects, making up 99.8% of its diet. A single barn swallow, they tell me, can consume 60 insects per hour, and they figure like 720 insects per day. So if you uh, you get bothered by insects in your yard, you figure one barn swallow is eliminating 20,000 of those every month that won't be able to bother you. The older siblings sometimes help barn swallow parents feed their young from a second brood. And there's a study done by the University of Bern, the University of Geneva, and the Swiss Federal Institute of Forest, Snow, and Landscape Research uh, found broods of barn swallows received 250 to 350 food portions daily, each containing 15 to 20 insects. Uh, parental feeding accounts for up to 100,000 flying insects. So what those uh, three organizations found is if they have baby barn swallows for each brood, parental feeding takes 100,000 flying insects to get those babies out of the nest. And this is from a, a little bird. A barn swallow weighs as much as seven or eight pennies, and it's been clocked flying 46 miles per hour. So these guys can get out there and zoom with the best of them. Uh, another listener has asked, what is the biggest insect in Minnesota? I'm an old softball player, and I recall playing softball in Maple Island, Minnesota. And the field 
these two to three inch long giant water bugs would land on the field. Now, we were grown men, and uh, there were, I won't uh, mention any names, but some of my teammates made that ew, ew, ew sound as these things uh, landed on them or near them. Why were they there? Do they love softball? Were they infatuated with some of our great plays? No, they were drawn by the lights, and there was water not far away, so they came and landed on the field. A giant water bug is this enormous insect, and it has noticeable four-leg pinchers, and they use it to catch underwater prey like small fish, frogs, newts, and snails. A strong bite injects a solution that liquefies the insides of its prey, allowing the bug to drink it. I suppose like we would a malt or something. Its dark brown body is flat and oval-shaped, and it's unable to hold its breath. So it has these small breathing tubes called spiracles that allows the bug to stay under water while drawing in air trapped under its wings like a straw. And it's known for biting toes when disturbed or threatened by people, which has earned it the nickname Toe Biter. And I've also heard them called Alligator Ticks. And I would say, I'm guessing here, but I'm going to say that's the largest insect that we have in Minnesota. And I'd love to hear if anybody knows of bigger ones. Because these guys, and you know, if you see a three-inch insect, your mind is telling you that thing's got to be about a foot long because that's the way our mind works because it, it wants us to <laughs> sure make does. a run for it. To, <laughs> yeah. to get out of here. Get away from this thing. It's it's bad news. So they are huge. Uh, they really don't bother you much, I guess, other than if you're dangling your toes in the water and you're bugging them while they're trying to eat or something, they might nip you. I've never had mine uh, bitten. Uh, my last question, somebody said, are those morning glories growing on my fence lines? And I don't know your fence lines personally, so I can't say for sure. Uh, the morning glory vine, I do know, gets its name from the flower's habit of opening with the first rays of sunshine, and then it closes when the heat of day arrives. It's an ornamental species, the morning glory, and it's an annual so what you're likely seeing is a perennial bindweed. It, the field bindweed is from Eurasia, and the hedge bindweed is a native. They have funnel-shaped flowers that bloom, again, mostly in the morning, and the plants creep along on herbaceous vines that clasp onto any substrate. Bindweed is a perennial vine with a white or pink tinge flowers and arrowhead-shaped leaves. While the Morning Glory is an annual vine, and it has white, pink, purple, or blue flowers and heart-shaped leaves. So for me, the easiest way to tell if I'm near Bindweed has arrowhead-shaped leaves, Morning Glory has heart-shaped leaves. And everything I'm seeing where I am, they are uh, bindweed. And it's just one of those things that uh, a lot of farm fields and fences end up with them. I want to thank everybody for uh, joining Dwayne and I on the front porch here today. You know, summer's a season when I sit outside on a wobbly chair. We all have those wobbly chairs that are too good to throw away, but really not good enough to keep. And try not to let the flies settle on us on a day where the heat is of Costco. 
proportions and a day we'll dream about in January. The 4th of July reminds me each year that the infinite summer is finite. I've walked in enough parades to know that the secret is to walk behind shady politicians on a sunny day. (laughs) A common refrain here has been a wish for rain. People aren't getting their money's worth out of a rain gauge. Ecosystem architects become stressed about stressed lawns. Harvey Benson, a friend of mine, lives in Harmony, Minnesota, said he'd had a month of no rain and was watering flowers when he decided to water his rain gauge. The next day, his yard received an inch and a half of rain. In my mischievous years, I'd pour a little extra water into the neighbor's rain gauge in the hopes he'd think he lived in the state's rainforest. I should have apologized, but I was chicken. Remember, folks, heartless while we're driving past, thanks for listening. Do something wild to get out there, look at a bird. Going, thank you very much for your company. I appreciate it very much. And thank you for being with us, uh, as usual, on Tuesdays. Thank you, everyone. Have a grand day. All right. That is Al Bat. Thank you so much. Uh, Al with us Tuesdays uh, about 10 o'clock here on 89.7 The Maverick.